preaching through the book of Ephesians. Um, we're making some headway now, uh, I believe, maybe a little more today, I don't know. Um, but I've been blessed um, um, in all ways to stand before you to speak God's word. I pray that the Spirit will lead me in what to say and what to think, and that the Savior, the Spirit, will help you to receive in your hearts the truths of His Word. And so, as I, before I begin, well, I want to quote Martin Luther, um, uh, one little quote of his that kind of struck me as I was going through. I'm probably taking it totally out of context, but um, I read where he used to say that there are three things required to make a minister. And though I'm not a minister, more of a teacher maybe. He said, prayer, meditation, and temptation. And I, it struck me as kind of odd, especially the third one, temptation. Um, of course, prayer we, we're fairly familiar with as the text that I'll preach from this morning is Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. Um, meditation, of course, we, um, we presume that that's the meditation of God's word, his holy word, the Bible that we have in our hands read from today freely, but temptation. Why would Martin Luther say that's required to make a minister of God's word, temptation? Um, as I stand before you for myself, and as I think of the Apostle Paul as he wrote this the book that we're speaking from this morning and several other of the epistles in the New Testament, um, I think of when he asked that the thorn in his side be removed. Um, and God said, denied him and said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And I believe temptation, the thing that humbles us, the thing that requires us to go back to the Lord in prayer and to go back and meditating upon his holy word, it keeps us grounded in the gracious blessings of Jesus Christ. It keeps us grounded in the truth of his word that by his blood we're saved. That without the blood of Christ we're guilty, we're, we're already uh, convicted of sin, we're already uh, dead in our sins, that it takes the Holy Spirit to apply the redeeming power in our lives to actually bring us to him, to Christ. Um, so if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians we're still in chapter 1, month 3, um, <laughs> following in Pastor Ben's footsteps. I feel very inadequate, and especially after the Pastor Ben and Bill have returned from their conference in Louisville, Kentucky, as they've listened to many distinguished speakers, and John MacArthur and, and Mark Dever and the likes. Um, hopefully, um, by the Lord's power, we'll get through this, and uh, all will be well. Um, so as, as being pretty much what we've covered thus far is verses 1 through 14. Specifically, we've been focusing on verses 3 through 14 as Pastor uh, Bill uh, preached before they left for their trip and Ben has been doing, doing up to that point. Um, I wrote down some, some bullets, some notes about um, what leads up, Paul's words leading up to this prayer he has for the Ephesians, the Christians there in Ephesus. Um, the first one, he says, as we go through, um, 
he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And, and all these other points that I'm going to give you underneath it basically are those spiritual blessings. We didn't say earthly blessings, even though we are blessed with earthly things. We tend to actually focus on those more than we do the spiritual blessings. And as a matter of fact, when we don't get our earthly blessings as we see fit, that's when we, we feel like we've been dealt a bad hand. And we, we do not focus on the spiritual things of, of Christ, of the Bible, of the Word, of our being. We were made to glorify Christ. So this, the, one of the, those blessings is he chose us before the foundations of the world. And I wrote some scripture down to if you wanted to, if, you know, I'm, I'm very, um, uh, I really want to make sure that what I speak is nothing but the truth, God's word. And so I'm going to give you as much as possible verses to refer to, to reference. Um, of course, in this very book, Ephesians 1, 4 speaks to that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, before you and I were born, before Abraham. I mean, this is more than the mind can take in. And then the second one, you know, well, the, the second piece of Scripture there, if you want to reference that, is Romans 8, 29, speaks to that. Um, and then after that, he through the Spirit is making us holy and blameless. Now, are we completely holy and blameless? in our present state? No, it's a process. What I like to call our sanctification in Christ is becoming more like Christ every day. How do we do that? Well, I go back to what Martin Luther said. Prayer, meditation, and using those temptations that we're faced with every day to turn back to God, to turn back to Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit, ask for the strength to help us overcome those temptations and to further ground our faith in Him. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, you can find that. Colossians 1.22. And then next, he predestined us for adoption as sons of Christ. That word predestined seems to ruffle a lot of feathers. But for those that have feathers that are ruffled, I, ask, I just say that it's in the Bible, so what do you do with it? It's there. We do not remove it. It's God's inerrant word. Uh, again, you can refer to Romans 8.29. Um, 1 Corinthians 2.7 He has redeemed us through his blood. Well, nothing but the blood. We, know, we all know well that without the blood of Christ, we're without redemption. We are without hope that we have no redemption. We're dead in our sins. Paul says in chapter 2 of Ephesians, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Dead is dead. It's not partly awake. It's not in a coma. It's not in a sleep, a stupor. You're dead. A dead man's never done anything. It took the Holy Spirit to give you life. Life in Christ. And if you ask, when Pastor Ben gets there, and I'm just kind of giving you a prelude to that, you get down to four, what a glorious verse that is, but God. But God. And then the next one, he forgave us of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We're going to get into that a little bit this morning. You can find that in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us, of our, uh, forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then he lavished upon us all wisdom and insight, the mystery of his will. He spells out in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, the mystery of his will. 
He gives that to us. What a blessing that as we run into the next point that we're united in all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Um, and then he has sealed us of his ownership that the Holy Spirit has been a down payment that we're sure that we have a foretaste of the things to come. It's like earnest money. When you lay down money in the purchasing of something, that earnest money is, is that down payment. It's a foretaste of the things to come. 2 Corinthians one twenty two is your, your um, reference there. So as we begin in, in, in verse 15 is where I'll start speaking from. Thanksgiving and prayer. This is Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. To, uh, they're the Christians there in Ephesus. And, um, and before I start reading this, this, these pieces of Scripture, um, let, let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that as Pastor Ben read from your holy word, that you will give us ears to hear with, Father, and eyes to see with. Father, I humbly come before you, Father, totally inadequate. But Father, fully prepared by your spirit to give your word, Father, as best as, as, as I can. Father, and I just pray that those that are here that the Savior, that the Holy Spirit will open their hearts to your word. And even though I stumble, Father, and even, even though I, I go through this and I may misspeak, Father, your Spirit will speak the truth into their hearts. So, Father, that it's not of me that I may boast that it's of you. So, Father, forgive us of our sins. I pray that those distractions that we may have in our minds will, be, will disappear, Father, dissipate, Father, that your holy word, that, that you as you are in our midst here this morning, Father, will ring true your word in our life, that we will live your word, Father, as we go out through this day and the rest of our lives. So, Father, I pray that you'll help us focus on your word and give us hearts, Father, to feel, hearts, Father, to receive your word. In Christ's name, amen. And a sip of water. I'm going to read the scripture here, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The thing I love about Paul and about everything he's, he writes in all his letters is he's very pointedly, he makes a point to give the gospel, the good news. Every city that he visited under immense persecution, more than we can imagine today, he never falters, he stands strong, and he gives the gospel. Even in his prayer here, he's praying the gospel for the people of Ephesus. Um, a couple of questions as we're prone to do here at Sovereign Grace to give before we speak. Uh, just have two. They're very simple. They're very broad, but here they are. The first one is, what is the purpose for Paul's prayer to the Ephesians? 
And the second one, similar to it, would this prayer be applicable to Sovereign Grace Church? Okay, number one, what is the purpose for Paul's prayer to the Ephesians? And then, would this prayer be applicable to Sovereign Grace Church? Um, his prayer starts out for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. There's two words there that just ring out true, that Paul knows that these Christians here are true converts, that they truly are in Christ. And those two words are love and faith. Love and faith. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith. Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. It's God's divine persuasion, we could say. And he says, and in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. God is love. Um, there's, there's plenty of scripture I had written down. Um, 1 John 4. I guess this is if I had used my tablet, fellas, that this would be a little bit seamless, a little bit quicker, but nonetheless, I'm still learning how to use it. <laughs> 7 through 12, he says, God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to, the, to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. As John so eloquently speaks there, Paul sees that as, as, as he sees their faith and love in Christ, he knows they're truly converts. And he has this, this wonderful, this expansive prayer here for his, his people in Christ there in the city of Ephesus. And we know that Paul, probably about five years prior to this, spent a couple of years there in Ephesus. And so he probably was acquainted with quite a few of the folks there, and I believe as he's writing this letter, he's actually in prison. He's, he's in Rome, he's in prison, and, and my, what a, what a humble, what, what a heart for God to be able to be in prison and to have this prayer for his people, for God's people in Ephesus. He's not bemoaning the fact that he's in prison. He's not saying what unfortunate circumstances he has. In fact, in Philippians you read, he says he counts it for all joy. Um, and I, I pray that as you and I, as we stand here this morning, that as we face persecution, probably we will never ever, any of us, uh, face the persecution that Paul f faced during his walk on his three uh, missionary journeys, or possibly four, that, that we will be faithful to preach God's word, that we will be faithful to stand for the gospel. Um, the, the elders, as, as we get together and as we talk sometimes, as we, we, we see so clearly, and, and you do too, that as this world progresses, 
that, that those of Christ are going to be persecuted even more. Jesus said, if you fall because they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And so he says, and as we continue on, he says, um, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And so it all depends upon the word of God. The revelation, the revealing of his word, he prays for them. And Paul gives, he makes some requests here in his prayer. If you catch that, if you go back to verse 17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, so he makes some requests, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So he makes a request, and the first one he says, my first point here is that God may give you spiritual understanding and discernment. That's his first request for his people, for the Christians, God's people there in Ephesus. Um, I came across this um, as I was reading. Um, I, I like to read biographies and different things. And uh, I came across this um, from Harry Ironside, who is a, a past uh, great uh, preacher and, and wrote commentary on different books. And he gave this story, and I, I want to read this to you about, and, and, and keep in mind the, the, the meaning of discernment. Paul wants his, the people there in Ephesus to have a discernment for his word, an understanding, not just an outward understanding, not just one that's just uh, head knowledge, but of the heart, that it's of the heart that they understand what he's speaking of. This is, what, this is how it goes. It says, Harry Ironside told a story that happened to him early on in his ministry. There was an older godly man named Andrew Fraser who had tuberculosis and Ironside had gone to visit him. He could barely speak above a whisper. His lungs were almost gone. Yet he said, young man, you are trying to preach Christ, are you not? Yes, I am, replied Ironside. Well, he said, sit down a little and let's talk together about the word of God. He opened his Bible and until his strength was gone, he opened up one passage after another, teaching truths that Ironside at that time had never seen nor appreciated. Before long, tears were running down Ironside's cheeks, and he asked, Where did you get these things? Can you tell me where I can find a book that will open them up to me? Did you get them in seminary or college? Says Fraser replied, My dear young man, I learned these things on my knees on the mud floor of a little sod cottage in the north of Ireland. There with my Bible open before me, I used to kneel for hours at a time on that mud floor than I could ever have learned in seminaries or colleges in the world. And that was his reply. Now, I'm not here speaking against our very dear seminary-trained, distinguished gentlemen, Pastor Ben and Bill, at all. Again, I'm going back to you get discernment through the meditation and prayer upon his holy word. Amen. And we have to ask ourselves, what's most important to you? You know, are you fed on God's word? When I think about the number of times that I'm hungry physically for food, physical food for my nourishment and for my gratification through the sweets and stuff that I so enjoy, I wonder, do we have the same desire to feed upon God's Word as we do the things that we take into our bodies physically? You just think if you delved into the Word of God just as much as you ate, just as much as you enjoyed the the, the, the pleasures of this world, how much closer 
you would be with Christ. How much more you would have a, a relationship with him that you would know him personally. And how much more that you would feel his conviction upon you when you sin. That you would repent from it on your knees. Not in jest. Not in just saying something. But in your heart. And in your mind. I hear so many times I get on the students at school. Um, we're not, of course, supposed to speak of anything of Christ. Um, but I hear so many people, and not just at school, anywhere you go say, Oh my God. That's blasphemy. That's having a lack of reverence for the name of God. I think we, we're, we're in, our, so, in our day and age that we, we have so disregard and irreverence towards the God, our maker, the one who made us, created us in his own image, that we use his name in vain. And the sad part about it is we don't even realize it. It doesn't even hit us as such. We just move right along, and people laugh, and we go on. We don't even think about it. Where, where does our discernment come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. When Jesus, upon his um, ascension, he promised to send one, the Holy Spirit, that those that are in him would receive that spirit. And those of us today who are in the church, the church, I mean the saints, Christians, there's a lot of people who call themselves a church, but that doesn't mean anything. What I mean by church is those who are in Christ Jesus, period. No one else. He promised to send, and you and I today are filled with the Holy Spirit to give us discernment upon reading his word. And before you read a word of, his, of the Bible, of any book of the Bible, I, I just hope that you get down on your knees and you pray for discernment through the Holy Spirit. For your eyes can only be opened through him. As Ben said earlier, give us eyes to see with and ears to hear with. This is the secret. It's not intelligence. It's not outstanding instruction or academic degrees. It is time spent with God. It is the people who sit at Jesus' feet that God opens his heart. And, and, and I love the way, too, we have our, our young people, our kids, that they're able to come and they're, to hear God's word, not watered down, not given some little story, but the gospel. I can imagine as Paul preached, you had all kinds of people, you had all ages of people sitting there listening to him preach. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 21 and 22 says, But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And then he issues a warning. He says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's 1 John 4, 1. So discernment is not optional for the believer. Discernment is paramount. And what I mean by that is being led by the Holy Spirit. As Pastor Bill said one time, we seem to shy away. We seem to want to leave out the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We speak very little of the Spirit these days. Well, what did Jesus tell Nicodemus? What was this discussion about with the Pharisee, um, Nicodemus there, about when, when Nicodemus asked about, you know, can I be born again? How can I be born again a second time through my mother's womb? 
What was Jesus telling him there? He's not talking about physical rebirth. He's talking about spiritual rebirth through the Holy Spirit. You can't do it yourself. I can't do it. I cannot save you. There's nothing about me that I can say or do to change you. All I can do is read his word and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and that you, you, you listen to his word and you pray that he will change your life, that he will give you a renewed life, that he will give you a rebirth, that your eyes would be opened. I remember one particular time, I won't dwell in it very deeply, but there was a specific form of doctrine that I struggled with mightily in my life. And it caused me a lot of anxiety and a lot of just, I struggled with it. And I just knew in my heart, the way I saw things, the way I viewed things, that I was right. But see, I was thinking in my own mind, in my own ways. I was thinking, as a, as a non-believer would, you would say. I wasn't speaking with discernment. And I prayed and prayed about that matter. And I asked God that if he would, if I was wrong, to open my eyes to his holy word. And he did. He asked us for discernment in Acts 17.11. He says, Paul speaks, this is Paul again, Now the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Do you examine the scriptures daily? Not just on Sunday listening to one of us, but do you open the word yourself in a private place, in a place where you can meditate, where you can pray in earnestness? where you can repent of your sins, you can call them out, specifically call out those sins and ask for forgiveness of them. Because you are not sinless. We still have a sin nature. We will be, our sinless nature will be brought in completion when Jesus comes back and he unites the whole church and we're with him and we're like him. He says we will be like him. That's when we will be sinless. Right now we're not. We live in a fallen world. And it's not just man that's fallen, but nature around us is falling. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things has been, has been revealed to us through the Spirit. See, there it is, through the Spirit. And notice how many times as I read this piece of Scripture, the word, the name of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is mentioned. Through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not, re we have not received... We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually, because they are not spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. What, what, what great spiritual truth. What, not only that, but what, you know, when we have anxiety in our lives, and as with my own family, we have kids, and, 
and they have anxieties in their lives, what better way, can there better, is there a better way to try to, to speak to them and, and even to yourself and your spouse to, to relieve those anxieties than digging into the Word of God? And as He tells us these things that He's promised us, and as we know by faith and by His truth that they're going to come true, that they're, they're just as well as already been done, that, that those anxieties will be relieved? That when we have those anxieties, when we have those worries, that we're, it should be a, a bell going off in your head that we're, we're leaning too much on the world, that we're leaning too much on ourselves. And Paul is praying for this church here. He's praying that they will seek discernment. As he goes on to the next verse, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Speaking of, of hope, as I said before, speaking of faith, it's God's divine persuasion. Um, the hope, it's a strong and confident expectation. The Holy Spirit ensures us that what God has promised will ring true. If God has promised it, it's done. It's not like you and I, when I make a promise sometimes and I don't totally fulfill it, or I just absolutely don't fulfill it. Fulfill it. That's sin. In fact, he says, the word says, you know, let your yea be yea and your no, no, because, you know, he says also don't, don't promise something that you can't fulfill. It's better not to make the promise. But what God has promised is truth. It's done. It's real. He says, to Christian who does not know a high calling, a holy calling, and a heavenly calling, would never be able to walk worthy of that calling. Um, and, and you can, a uh, great verse, I don't know if I'm going to scroll there, I don't know, looking at my watch, Hebrews 3.1. Um, what, what just, being I turned to it that quickly, I'll read it. <laughs> Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly, heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all, God's, in all of God's house. We're to be, as we move through our Christian life, as we become sanctified, that means growing more and more to be like Christ every day. Our discernment should be, you know, as, as, as I see my life and my, my growth and my, my, my relationship with Christ, and as you should too, as you grow closer to him, these things should become more vividly in your mind and in your heart. Your sins should be that much more repugnant to you. And, and I think that's what Paul is speaking to these, these church members, these, these Christians here in Ephesus. He's hoping, he's praying for their discernment of the word. He's praying that their hearts will be open. He's praying that they won't be led astray. They're under persecution there. And it's different here than it is, was then now. We, we really don't have any worry right now of anybody coming in and arresting us and putting us to death or in prison for preaching his word. Now, that day may be soon coming. But as of yet, that's not happened. These Ephesians, you know, that was very real to them and the people of Paul's day. We can go through, go through the book of Acts, if you will, read through it and look at all the, 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 the things that Paul endured for speaking the word. And you can just imagine it, was just, was, it wasn't just Paul who endured those persecutions. It was anyone who was in Christ. It's not of us, but of him. It depends not on our goodness, for we have none. 
but on his grace. It's on his grace. We have no goodness in us. There is nothing good about me. The one that the Bible says is good is God himself. Now, when I place myself in the balance here and God here, I'm very wanton. There's no, there's no leveling. There's, there's no, um, I'm way out of balance. And as I grow towards Christ, as I become more sanctified, as I believe more in his word, my faith is increased. He brings me up to him. I don't do any. There's nothing I can do to work that out. He does it. But we have to be obedient to his word. And that's what Paul also, I believe, I'm, I'm kind of reading into this, but that's what he's saying to them as well, to be obedient to your calling, as we're to be obedient to our calling. And that was my second point, by the way. I didn't point it out. But, that you might know the hope of his calling. <laughs> um, biblical examples, I thought of a few. Apollos, who in the New Testament was preaching. He was preaching the word. He was very eloquent. He was a very, from what I understand, a, a very good preacher, a pastor a, a, of, of the flock and elder there. But he didn't at the time, he didn't know, he didn't know Jesus Christ. He, 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 was repeat, he was preaching repentance. He, he was on the right, but he just, he was missing one thing. And as he was so informed, and then as he, he started anew and he started to preach, man, what power he had. You know, and, and, and I think of, you know, Gideon. Think of Gideon. Who was he? Remember when God came to him, when his, the, the, the Jewish, the Jews there were being persecuted, I believe, by the Midianites, and they were being, every time they would have something, these Midian, they would grow their crops, and the Midianites would come down, and they would destroy them, they would take them, they would just wipe them, everything away. And God caught on Gideon. What was special about Gideon? As a matter of fact, I believe Gideon himself pointed that out. He says, I'm the least of my family. I'm the least of least. Well, how can you use me? And how did God use him? As a matter of fact, as, as he called the people there to help him, he kept, he kept taking that number and making it go you know, down and down and down and down until there was very little left to go and help him. And, and Gideon was, he was faithful to his calling. And with that small number, he defeated the Midianites. Now, why was that so? Why did God do it that way? So that Gideon wouldn't boast so that we would know that it's not of us, it's of him. There are several other scriptures there that you could turn to. I thought of, um, look at Joseph and Mary, Jesus' uh, mother there, biological mother. Man, who were they before God called upon her? Can't you see he uses the least of these? He uses those that are humble in spirit to bring to naught those who are proud, and highly of thought, who, who esteemed themselves very high, that was the problem with the Pharisees. They, 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 they felt too high themselves to be used of God. Remember the disciples, his calling of the disciples? I don't recall any of them having any, any outstanding uh, importance in the community there. They were just every day, they were fishermen, they were different sorts of people. Then I, I, I thought of Stephen who was the first deacon of the church. Man, Stephen, how he was being stoned to death. What did he do? Man, he basically, before that, he preached the gospel to him. As a matter of fact, he went back, back because he was speaking to the Pharisees. He gave them a history lesson. Did he not? 
He reminded them of all these things. But then, as he said, as Jesus said upon the cross, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And then finally, um, my third point, well, not finally, i got one more after that, that you might know the riches of his inheritance. Um, Verse 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. As a matter of fact, if you, when you have the time, go back through verses 13, I'm sorry, 3 through about, well, that first part, 14, and read and find how many times, and underline, underline or underscore in your Bibles, how many times you see the phrase according to. According to his purpose of his will. Verse 7, according to the riches of his grace. Verse 9, according to his purpose. Verse 11, according to the purpose of him. It's of God, not of you. It's according to Him. It's according to His will. It's according, our, our riches and our, and our strength is found in Him. It's according to Him. All those blessings that He named out as, as being preached through them one by one by one, all those things are given through Him and by Him. Um, the word riches suggests that there is nothing lacking. Nothing more than what we need. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you rely upon God's word, if you if you truly are in Christ, there's nothing that you need outside of that. As a matter of fact, I, be, I believe the biblical uh, definition for being rich, of course, is being in Christ, but having a roof over your head, something to eat. We, we have all those things, those physical things. But we seek out those physical things more than we seek out those spiritual things. Um, in Revelation 19.7, as a matter of fact, I was going to, usually I read the introductory Bible verse, and um, <laughs> I told Pastor Ben that my scripture reading this morning was rather unorthodox, I guess. It was uh, from Revelation. And so wisely, I will say, Pastor Ben had his own scripture. He had already prepared to read because I was preaching this morning, so, so he did that, and I'm mightily thankful for that after second thought. But what a brother in Christ. Revelation 19, 7 through 9 says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. It was granted her according to Jesus Christ. Not us. Not you. Jesus Christ, which is our earnest hope and glory. And then finally, the fourth point, verses 19 through 23, is where this is going to be mostly focused, um, that you might know his power. That you might know his power. And this is where, as I overheard a conversation um, in, the, in the room there before you come in here, um, we were, they were speaking about Job. And if you'll turn to the book of Job, Chapter 9, speaking of the power of God. Then Job answered and said, Truly, I know that it is so. But how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, we could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removes mountains and they know it not, when he who overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, 
who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and tramped the waves of the sea, who made the bear and the orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Blessed or behold, behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? And we could go on and on. You could continue to read that. And even in other places in the book of Job, as he speaks of God's majesty, as he speaks of God's power, as he speaks of God as our creator, how can the created say to the creator, what's to be done? How can the, the, the pot being made declare to the potter how he's to be, what's to be done with him? It's of him. It's of God. And that's where I believe our church stands, sovereign grace. We stand on the sovereignty of God and on him alone, by his grace, through faith. Nothing else. It's not of works. There's nothing you and I can do. Um, 1 Peter 1 through 4, particularly verse 3, it says, He has caused us to be born again. See, He has caused us, according to Him, to be born again to a living hope. See, it's not a hope that's... You know, we think of hope as something that might come to be, that could come to be. Our hope in Christ is a true hope. It's something that will be and that is being. You see... Jesus is on his throne as we speak. He's not sitting idle. He's reigning from his throne as we speak now. He is always in control. All things are of him. Nothing passes through his hands before it comes to you and I. How dare us to complain. How dare us to turn back from our afflictions of this world when our, our glory, our, our reward, our are the things that Paul is trying to tell the Ephesians are blessings, are spiritual blessings that we have from him are much greater than anything this earth could offer. And, and I wonder, and as you, if you've ever read any of the biographies of the saints in Christ and martyrs, and how were they were able to stand before being burned to death, burned alive, and all these other horrible manners of death, and how they could stand there boldly and say, in Christ Jesus I stand. God is omnipotent. That's the word that Pastor Ben taught us in Bible study. I encourage y'all to come on Wednesday night. There's a good plug. Um, but omnipotent. God is all-powerful. He's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. He is on the throne right now. Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings right now. The very power, and this is what you and I have to realize through the Spirit, when Paul talked about their hearts enlightened, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is available for our lives right now. That's the power that raised you from the dead. We have eternal life in Christ Jesus. And... Um, Hopefully I'm not stealing anything from next week's sermon, but I, I just, I just feel, it, feel it just very just 
a good place to read. I want to read the next part of the next chapter of Ephesians 2, um, 1 through 10, because I, just as Paul would do, I just cannot, it just seems inappropriate to leave a place, a place, a gathering of his saints without reading the gospel, basically, because he gives it here. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our own flesh. Amen. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So nothing about us differentiates us from anybody else, but through and by the Holy Spirit, by God and His Holy Word. By grace you have been saved. That means it's a gift. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You're not good. God gave it to you. He bestowed it upon you and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you want to know what the biggest spiritual blessing of all could be for me and you is when we're with him? And all sins are... You know, when all things are done away with and we're with Christ, we're with him, we're like him. When, when this age, when we're consummated in, in Christ, that we're, we're one with him, we, we're heirs with Christ, we're sons, we're adopted sons. That's part of the mystery that Paul talks about, that he's bringing the church in unity, the, the, the believing Jews and the believing Gentiles, that we're one in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, as I've heard so many times, it is, our salvation is of works. There's no doubt about that. It is of works. It's just not our works. It's the works of Jesus Christ. Um, in summary and finishing up, the people in Ephesus are in a difficult physical circumstance. They're being persecuted. Um, the Christians are probably rather few in number there. And, and the God that they worship at the time is not very well liked. Um, severe persecution is never far away. Paul prays that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened. Paul is going after their hearts for Christ. He's going after, he's speaking to their spiritual condition, not their physical. Because look where Paul's at as he's writing this. He's in prison. And as far as he, as he knows, he'll be put to death the very next morning or any, at any time. He's praying for their spiritual being, not their physical. Now, does that say we can't pray for someone's physical being? No, it doesn't. But above, far, and beyond that, because we're just, we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. This, this body, this tent that we live in, it's not everlasting. But as Christ was resurrected, so shall we and we shall be like him. So my question is, the final is, is, is want to end with, so what do you pray for the most? Um, let's pray and I'll be finished. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for the strength. I, I thank you for for the power of the Holy Spirit to be able just to stand and speak. Father, I'm compared to, to you, compared to anything else. Father, I'm weak. 
Father, there's nothing of me that's good. But Father, I'm so thankful that the unrighteousness that I have, that I was born with, was imputed to you upon that cross and that your righteousness was imputed to me so that I stand righteous, Father, but not of my own, but of yours. That as you look at me, you see your son's righteousness in me and, and all of us who sit here this morning. Oh, Father, how, how grateful we're to be, how we're to revere your name, how we're to speak your gospel to the lost. So, Father, I pray that we'll be obedient to your holy truths that you give us in your holy word. And I thank you in Jesus Christ. Amen.